that their play on the field put them toward the back of the line. Kaiser doesn't see him. Ball is out. There always seems to be one team further behind. gang welcome to the brown notes podcast where we let them rip on the cleveland browns my name is scott and this is rico what's up what up dude hey let's just get right into this um so as of today today is tuesday april 11th that's when we're recording this and uh, i just want to start off with the greg newsom stuff did you hear this no, you didn't because you don't give a shit about the offseason. So let me tell you what happened. So remember a few episodes ago when Greg Newsom answered somebody's question about is he going to cover the slot next year? And he essentially said, fuck no, he doesn't want to cover the slot. Remember that shit? I do. Vaguely. Do you vaguely remember that? Yeah. Okay. So today it came out that he requested a trade. How about that? And then... It also came out shortly after that, that he hired Drew Rosenhaus to be his new agent. And then shortly after that, Adam Schefter came out and said, well, Drew Rosenhaus talked to Brown's management and Greg Newsom is very happy with his current situation and is happy to be a part, yada, yada, yada. So it went from he's asking for a trade to he hired Drew Rosenhaus to he's extremely happy with his current situation. So that all happened in the in in the in the course of about 35 seconds earlier today. Um I saw on the Twitter that I think it was credit to Emmett Golden from WKNR with this yeah. take, but mm -hmm. I guess Drew Rosenhaus was in town for Shane Bieber and to see Bieber pitch against the Yankees and to talk business with Shane Bieber. And yeah. I guess when he's in town, he just swings into Berea and just touches base with, and kind of just, you know, networks with some of the folks in Berea because he was in the neighborhood. So it could be one of those things where, you know, we're seeing, seeing shadows where there's not, you know what I mean? Yep. Uh, I, I totally agree with you. This is a big fat nothing as far as I'm concerned. The The only thing that kind of concerns me is he's remember he's still, he's only halfway through his rookie contract and he did come out on his Twitter and essentially say, fuck no, he's not covering the slot this year. So this, this story, this shit about him requesting a trade just doesn't come out of nowhere. I feel like there's some kind of semi-truth to that, which for him is kind of bullshit because he's got no weight to be doing these kinds of things. You know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what to think of it, to be honest with you. It, I, I, it's one of the reasons why, I mean, you kind of joke that I don't pay attention to the off season, but it's kind of one of the reasons why I, I kind of don't because 
I just think so much of it is just speculative bullshit and why waste your time with that i mean this is just kind of like talk in april that we don't know anything about and at the end of the day it's greg newsome you know what i mean it's like right he's a nice player but <laughs> you know what i mean i mean not going to disagree with you on that they, it, it's just greg newsome halfway through his rookie contract just play just show up and play um Speaking of that, um, let's. I, I just I don't want to spend too much time on that because I think we both agree that it's although interesting, it's off season and it's not really a big deal. That that dude, even if even if all of it was true, he's not in a position to even remotely follow through on anything with regard to that. So, um, did you also hear? And maybe you didn't because you don't care about the off season. Um, that the Browns are officially moving on from Kareem Hunt, right? Do you heard about this? I mean, again, I saw it either on our Instagram or Twitter, and I don't think, I mean, again, so much of that stuff that you see on those are just fuckers like us putting it up there. So I'm not sure how credible it is, <laughs> you know? So I and think I don't... that one, well, it's being reported that, the Browns feel like he's lost a step. He hasn't signed anywhere else either. So clearly um, that shows you the kind of market value he has, but I'm totally fine with him not being in Cleveland. I mean, he, it was great while he was here, but I think you and I even commented over, over uh, texting several different games last season that he looked like he had lost a step. So I don't think this is really huge news either. Um, besides, I think Jerome Ford being um, Nick Chubb's backup. I think Jerome Ford's going to be a great backup, and and Nick Chubb or um, Kareem Hunt wanted to explore a starting opportunity, and he clearly isn't getting one, and there's a reason for that. So again, I think this one is being just reported as one of those things. I don't really see anybody on Twitter really melting down about it. I think it's just kind of reported as, oh, okay, that makes a lot of sense. Um, but I just wanted to see if you had an opinion about that at all. I mean, the opinion is, again, I mean, I saw it, but there is so much stuff put out there by fans and I didn't care enough to look deeper and see if there was like an underlying credible source. But at the end of the day, it's a nothing burger to me because did anybody go into this offseason expecting Kareem Hunt to re-sign with the Browns or to be back next year? I don't think anyone did. We all knew it last year was his last year. This wasn't, I mean, there's there's literally nothing here of interest you know i mean the the idea that it's newsy that the browns are moving on from kareem hunt i mean we knew his last game as a brown was the steelers game week 17 we knew that everybody knew that um i don't know and like to your point and not to just reiterate what was just said but if you watched the games last year you could tell that he's not the same guy he was which brings me to my next point. What you just said is everybody's talking about a bunch of nothing burgers, right? What month is this? This is April, right? Mid-April. What in the history of since since forever have we typically been talking about in the month of April? The draft. That's right. And what are we talking about instead of the draft? 
I mean, there's nothing to talk about. We're talking exactly. about the Ravens is what we're talking about. There's yeah, you know. OBJ getting 15 mil plus three and plus three million in incentives to try and lure Lamar Jackson back to Baltimore. How about that? I mean, that's been the entire offseason, though, really has been just the entire NFL has been. If the Browns were the topic numero uno of last offseason with Deshaun Watson, the Ravens are primetime TV this offseason with the Lamar Jackson, um, uh, you know, that whole fiasco with as seemingly incompetent all of a sudden the once, uh, you know, highly professional and put together Ravens front office once was now they, they look like boobs. And then out of nowhere, they, you know, we all thought OBJ was going to the jets and out of nowhere, they gave him a, they give him a $15 million guaranteed deal. It can go all the way up to 18 with incentives. Lamar still not under contract, but plenty of smoke online that this was a coordinated effort between the two of them. If you're to believe it, I don't know. Again, it's the fucking internet. So it's the Ravens really are the most interesting thing in the NFL this offseason. It seems like the NFL every offseason needs one train wreck to kind of keep itself in the news. And it's the Ravens this year. And Is conversely, there... it could work out in the Ravens' favor. Oh, Odell totally Beckham could. played extremely well with the Rams. Again, it was 100 years ago. He damn near was the MVP of the Super Bowl. And Lamar Jackson has shown him he's won an MVP. Lamar Jackson can be an elite quarterback. Um, you know, we just haven't seen it in recent years necessarily because of injury, but he has played exceptionally well and at a very high level so who knows it could end up the ravens could you know roll the dice and you know lamar maybe take a franchise tag bet on himself for a season i mean it could happen you know so um is there a difference between baltimore overpaying or um allegedly in somebody in people's opinions overpaying for obj versus the browns overpaying for Deshaun Watson. Both teams felt like they did what they had to do in order to accomplish a, a goal that they had set out. So really, is there a difference between them overpaying for OBJ versus the Browns overpaying and guaranteeing Deshaun Watson's entire contract? I think there's a huge difference. One is the Browns did that. The Browns overpaid for Deshaun Watson for Deshaun Watson. The Ravens, quote unquote, overpaid for Odell Beckham Jr. for Lamar Jackson. <laughs> you know, it's they're not paying for Odell Beckham Jr. He's 31 years old and coming off two torn Achilles. I mean, they're not paying. They're paying for his brand, which still has a high level of clout and equity in the NFL. His brand does his popularity does among other players he's extremely popular so his brand carries weight and that's what the ravens are buying here is they're buying his brand with the hopes that it shows lamar jackson hey we're in it to win it we're willing to spend bucks you know we're willing to bring in some you know it's this is a move the again the browns made the move they made for deshaun watson the ravens did this 100 for Lamar Jackson and I've heard pundits in the NFL I want to say maybe even was it was it Colin Cowherd I don't want to misquote someone but one of them said this just smacks of desperation you know and so 
And in watching the Ravens front office in, in recent weeks and press conferences, they looked desperate. They looked lost. They looked like they didn't know what to say on the podium, you know? So, um, Hey, if this is a move to lure Lamar Jackson or to attempt to lure Lamar Jackson back to Baltimore, I mean, who benefits Odell Beckham Jr. <laughs> you know, it just baffles me that, you know, this is a to going back to what you said before about how his brand equity is still ridiculously bloated and high right now. It just is. It's it's a it's a fucking it's a it's a clinic on marketing and and how if you properly market your you don't have to have any substance because marketing can overcome any lack of substance that dude hasn't been good since his third year and yet he is a marketing fucking genius like him and kiss could fucking do clinics on marketing because they're both marketing geniuses he is so fucking good at keeping his brand relative and re uh, not relative are uh, relevant with absolutely very little substance underneath i mean it's just it's really pretty impressive when you think about it yeah, I think he did just just enough in those six games and in the playoffs in L.A. to give it the shot in the arm. But he's immensely popular, you know, inside NFL circles. You know, it didn't work here for one reason. Well, there's multiple reasons, but there's one reason that no one ever talks about, and that's that when he came here, he was the biggest brand that the Browns had on the roster and that the Browns had probably seen come through their doors since Andre Risen, you know, and the Browns were an extremely young team at that time. You're talking, you're going back to what, 2018, 2019, something like that. So these guys, you know, you're shaving three years off of miles Garrett, Nick Chubb. It was an extremely young team at that time. Baker Mayfield was in like his second year, right? And then you bring in this huge brand, this huge presence into the locker room in front of basically a bunch of impressionable kids with a front office and an ownership group that has no track record for success, no gravitas. This isn't the New England Patriots, right? And it was just something that was, it just is not going to work here until the, now until the Browns establish themselves again and get on their feet and are able to be competitive and have a post winning records, like for consecutive years, for a number of years that they, then they legit legitimize themselves as a franchise until that time, you're not going to be able to bring players like that into this organization, especially with such a young team. And I, I do think that's something no one ever talks about was that he was such a presence. I honestly think it spooked Baker Mayfield. I honestly think Baker Mayfield felt immense pressure to make it work for Odell, Odell Beckham Jr. And it just probably, and he just couldn't handle it. I think he melted down under that pressure. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it was more, I, the more I think about it, and I think I even, sent you a, a text or two about this the, the more i've you know when this whole obj to baltimore went down i thought about when he was here and the reasons why it didn't work out and the more i thought about it the more or the, the less i wanted to blame kevin stefanski for it not working out i mean yeah i totally agree with you 
that dude requires a lot of o2 in the locker room you know what i mean and that's a yep. that's a that he casts a pretty big shadow you know what i mean i and, think the players were in awe of him and i yeah. think that's another reason why it split the locker room uh, agree agree and i feel like most of the issue was that and it had to do with the players themselves and less to do with kevin yes. Stefanski. because if you remember it doesn't really I feel OBJ has been in the league too long to completely go rogue every single play and to just scheme himself open. I find that very hard to believe. What is more likely is that Kevin Stefanski found ways to scheme him open and Baker just couldn't get him the ball. Yes. So I feel like most that's of exactly issue, right. Most of the issue was Baker just not being able to deal with it, not being able to give him the ball, and Kevin Stefanski just being able to scheme him open, which he did. That's so. exactly right, which is why OBJ's dad put that shit on the internet, putting the yeah. finger squarely on Baker Mayfield. It's why a week and a half ago you saw Kevin Stefanski and Odell Beckham Jr. at the owners' meeting seemingly having a very warm and, and gracious relationship with one another, right? Because okay. there's no bad blood there. Because they know from a football perspective – <laughs> you know, one, the Browns took care of Odell Beckham Jr. Okay. Sure did. And two, he knows that it wasn't on Kevin Stefanski and that, you know, they they know, and that's why all those videos came out that pointed the finger squarely. I think Baker Mayfield lacked what it took between the ears and was not established enough in the league to handle a personality as large as Odell Beckham Jr. I don't think the Cleveland Browns could handle at this stage in the in this version of the Cleveland Browns, I don't think they were mature enough and the roster was far too young. Now, had they had some veterans on the team, had there been a couple guys, now I know you can point to Betonio or whatever, but had there been a couple guys of, you know, on the roster who maybe had a little more gravitas and could have got people in line, but but by and large, the roster was extremely young when Odell Beckham Jr. came in here. If you remember anytime anybody ever asked i mean everybody wants to talk about the fucking watch and the visor and all that other bullshit that that he was involved anytime anybody ever asked him when he was in cleveland all, and even when he was in the at in the, in new york before he came to cleveland he all all he ever said was i just want to win that's all he ever said and i think the problem again to again to your point I don't think, I don't think that we we had that guy when he was here. Jarvis Landry, Jarvis Landry was that guy. He was the the grizzled vet, the locker room guy to hold it all together while to to, to make sure that things worked out. He wasn't the guy that you were talking about. But it doesn't matter that they had Jarvis Landry, who was the culture in that locker room. It was him. It didn't matter because Baker Mayfield just couldn't handle it. Kevin Stefanski uh, did a fine job. Jarvis Landry did a fine job of creating a culture in that locker room. But if you don't have the guy that can handle it behind center, it doesn't matter if you have any of those other guys. It doesn't matter how much Kevin Stefanski schemes OBJ open. It doesn't mean shit. Baker Mayfield just couldn't handle it, which is, as an aside, baffles me that, that ESPN puts fucking tampa at number 11 or whatever it was in the power ranking like way ahead of cleveland with baker mayfield a quarterback that is fucking baffling to me it's got to be the division 
But but to Jarvis Landry's point, though, I do think that Jarvis Landry's leadership was compromised somewhat by his friendship with Odell Beckham Jr. because they okay. were best friends. Yeah, uh, okay. so it was hard for him to be to be the leader he was the season that he was there before Odell Beckham Jr. got there. Right. Yeah. So True. I think that Landry was key in turning that team around from the Hugh Jackson era, one and thirty-one to becoming a 500 football team and then better i think his presence was key and pivotal in doing that and getting buy-in but i think when odell beckham jr came in i just think again that that friendship probably compromised his ability to lead a little bit because now he's just um they're all they almost become the same person if that makes sense um sure yeah man i mean it was it was a baker mayfield problem i mean and and honestly maybe john dorsey believed in baker too much because he drafted him and he brought in odell beckham jr and he brought in jarvis landry and nick chubb and that core of players that eventually did go to the playoffs to his credit but um maybe he believed in baker too much that he thought that the team could handle it it's i don't think it was odell beckham jr for all anybody said about him the media people all said he was terrific to the media he was gracious, answered all the questions. They said he was a terrific locker room guy. You don't hear anything bad about him. That's why, again, to your point, it wasn't Kevin Stefanski or Odell Beckham Jr. It was Baker. And and Odell was a good citizen here. The only thing you could point to was that first year with Freddie Kitchens, him not coming into the voluntary. They were voluntary workouts. But, you know, when you're a new player who's traded for, maybe he should have come to those. But, you know, I do remember Freddie Kitchens being peppered with questions like, where's Odell? Where's Odell? And he'd be like, well, it's volunteer stuff, man. You well, and, and to and to in OBJ's defense, I believe when all that shit went down and he got traded, I, if I'm not mistaken, I think he was in fucking Europe at the time. Yeah, so, he was. Yeah. So, I mean, he was right in the middle of a, of a trip to Europe. So, I mean, it, it, from a lot of perspectives, it makes sense that he wasn't there. But he'll but never be a Cleveland Brown again. So nope. a few podcasts back, we talked about, you know, the Odell and Josh Gordon kind of thing. And I think we yeah. can finally maybe put all that to rest and never yep. have those conversations again. True. And funny thing to go back one more one more thing before we move on about um dorsey draft and baker mayfield the the big reason remember which turned out to be a detriment for him the big reason why john dorsey drafted him was because of his intangible leadership qualities yeah <laughs> right remember that yeah and it turned out to be to, to, that that was not a a, a strong suit of his well, you know what? I'm glad you said that. I mean, it's funny because I was never a Baker fan. I kind of I kind of threw up a little bit in the back of my mouth when they when they drafted him, but I thought, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna buy in and I'm gonna try to get on board with this kid. Then he came out in that Jets game and I was like, All right. And his rookie year, I mean, he set the touchdown record and he was incredibly accurate his rookie year. And I've given it a lot of thought, and I really don't know. I mean, other than maybe Freddie Kitchens being such a bad choice for a head coach, because he was he was having Mayfield throw the ball 60 times a game, if you remember. Um, I, I don't know if this that sophomore year, if Freddie Kitchens just wrecked him or what, but 
You know, it took Kevin Stefanski's first year here was largely built around just can he rebuild Baker Mayfield's confidence and get him back to what he was his rookie year. And he did. In the second half of the season, Baker Mayfield was, you know, a top five quarterback in the league and he was playing great. Sure was. It just all went sideways in that damn contract year with the injury, you know? Yep. So I don't know. We've rehashed that a million times, but, you know, his leadership, I, I just, I feel like that's when he got exposed a little bit as when, when his back was against the wall, he really became more about Baker Mayfield than about the Cleveland Browns. And, and I think maybe the players in the locker room saw through that. And that's why the split happened. Agree. Agree. All right. So, um, I wanted to ask you this, I've been thinking about this for a while now. Um, with regard to Deshaun Watson, um, the, the promise and the hope that everybody has in him is based on his last year or two in Houston, right? His last year in Houston, he threw for, what, four or 5,000 yards. He led the NFL in passing, all that yada, yada. We all know that stuff, right? Yes. And the team was shitty, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So. Here's the question that I have that I haven't heard anybody ask. Are those stats legitimate or are those stats inflated because of all the garbage time because the team was shitty and is mm. and is is it fool is his stats fool's gold? Is he really that good or is it a bunch of fool's gold because of all the garbage time because of how shitty his football team was? And are we really getting the guy that we think we're getting because everybody's banking on the stats from that final year in Houston, but are they tainted because of how crappy the team was? See what I'm asking? Well, they were I would have to go back and look at the games, but I'm guessing being a bad team, they were probably playing from behind by multiple touchdowns or multiple scores probably for much of that season, which meant they probably had to air it out all the damn time. You know, um, it's similar to Josh Gordon. I mean, I think Josh Gordon had was a physical specimen, but everybody always points to that year when he put up all those yards. And it's like, guys, I remember watching those games. The Browns were routinely down by three touchdowns and throwing the ball on every fucking play for two thirds of the game. <laughs> So it's like they're inflated stats. Does that make sense? Exact same thing that your example parallels my question about Deshaun Watson in, in a perfect way, because the stats were inflated because they had to be inflated because the team was always playing from behind. Right. So is he really that good or are the stats just inflated because they were always playing, but from behind. And when you're constantly playing from behind, the defenses are playing going to play soft because they're yep. trying to milk. They're trying to milk clock. Yep. And they're just saying? letting you eat clock by throwing they're the letting you eat clock the and they don't give a shit about the stats. So that's what worries me about this. And your example with Josh Gordon is perfectly parallels. My question does, does it, and I've heard, absolutely nobody bring this up and i don't know why because it kind of worries me i think watson gets thought of differently one because his college career you know was you know people know what they saw in his college career and he was a decorated college player and I think that if you see, I remember whenever he was traded for and Nathan Zagura did that interview with him um 
they the Browns, somebody in the Browns put together a highlight reel from Houston and holy hell. <laughs> it's it's the most beautiful thing ever. You watch that and you're like, you, we've got the greatest quarterback to ever play the game, right? I mean, so you saw flashes of it, you know. I don't know, Rico. I mean, I'm I'm not I am skeptical and it's, and maybe it's just so many years of being a jaded Browns fan and always expecting the worst, but I am skeptical that I, I don't know what he is. And it makes me concerned because, you know, I see the Browns, a lot of prognosticators putting the Browns really low, you know, around 21 or some of the, uh, uh you know, rankings mm-hmm. and, you know, oftentimes, I mean, they're not always right, but they're not always that far off either. You know what I mean? And so I mean, what is probably, it probably you could probably bank on like there's like a margin of error of a spot or two in either direction, right? So yeah. that still puts them in the high teens. So like what are they seeing or what are they concerned about that maybe Browns fans aren't seeing because we've got brown and orange tinted glasses on? And is it Deshaun Watson? Are they unconvinced that he can that that he can either return to form or to your point maybe he never had it well and maybe they're seeing what i'm what i'm seeing is that he played on a shitty team and was constantly playing from behind on soft defenses that were trying to milk clock and so the stats are are inflated uh, in an unnatural way and makes him look better than he really is maybe that's what they're seeing I, I I mean, uh, that's what I'm saying, Scott. I don't hear anybody even raising this question. Everybody is like, oh, well, he was so phenomenal in that final year with Houston that it totally validates the, the, the big contract that he got. Well, if you look deeper, I see what I see this big question mark. And and it, I, I have I am not sold either, just like you're not sold. And if you want to call it Neo and battered Brown syndrome, and the sky's always falling and Mr. Wet Blanket Cleveland Browns, whatever. The question is there. What's funny is uh, the ultimate wet blanket would be uh, Tony Grossi. And he <laughs> is absolutely spooked by that finale, the game 17 against the Steelers, because he thought, you know, that was Deshaun Watson's sixth game. You were coming off the Washington game when he looked really, really good, if you remember in the second half. And that it seemed like, okay, now we're going to see the, you know, we're starting to get back to what he is. And maybe now we're going to see it. And it's against your biggest rival. And he went into Pittsburgh. And to Grossi's point, he looked like every other Browns quarterback in the last 20 years. And to him, it was terrifying, right? Because, you know, if you're playing in the AFC North, you're not going to see soft defense. I mean, it's just not the way the game is played in this division, right? So I don't know, man. I mean, it's like I'm worried can... about I've brought it up before, and my concern is the Sean Kemp factor. I just I'm terrified Boy, of Vey. that. You know, Boy, Vey, Sean. Oh, oh, I didn't even think of that, but that just makes me want to puke a little bit. Well, I can um, tell that the the parallel is this, Rico. It's that, and I, I I'm sorry if I said this before in this podcast. Maybe I have, but the, the parallel is is kind of similar because Sean Kemp came here and he was the Rain Man, and it was a huge trade Wayne Embry pulled off. And if you remember that Cavs nucleus with Sean Kemp was pretty damn good, man. And 
people were excited. And then this Sports Illustrated story comes out about promiscuous fatherhood like in the NBA and Sean Kemp is like the poster child for it. I think he had seven kids by five different women or something like that. Yeah, something, something ridiculous like that. And he became, and it was like this big scandalous story about, you know, all these NBA players are just fathering kids out of wedlock and being highly irresponsible, yada, yada, yada. And that it really weighed on Sean Kemp and that it depressed him and that he was bummed about being painted that way as an absentee father and as an irresponsible, um, you know, NBA player slinging dick all over the country and that he was like droopy dog in practices and that it just weighed on him mentally. And I worry about no one talks about kind of what Deshaun Watson has gone through. I see parallels and I wonder if he's strong enough mentally to kind of shoulder because we talked about it on last week's episode. The media is not going to let Cleveland or Deshaun Watson get out from under this anytime soon. So he's going to have to shoulder this. Sean Kemp couldn't shoulder what was put on him in that article. It broke him. It depressed him. I don't know if Deshaun Watson can, and it concerns me because he's going to be the villain everywhere he goes. Agree. And so now you've got my question regarding, is he as good as his stats say he is? And you've got your question, which is, can he mentally rebound from all of the garbage? And what do we have on the other side to balance that out? A bunch of promises. I it's 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 a little bit lopsided right now. So that makes that makes me worry. And I don't have I don't hear anybody aside from me and you talking about this. And this is legit concern that I think should be talked about. That's why I brought it up. And that's why you that's why we're talking about it. I think it's a big concern. I agree with you that I have no, the thing that Sean Kemp was dealing with was kind of a big deal. And, and, and at the time when it blew up in the NBA, it was really kind of very newsworthy and discussion worthy, but that kind of pales in comparison to the stuff that Deshaun Watson has been experiencing the last few years. And you have to have a lot of mental fortitude to be able to make it through this without having 57 prescriptions and 18 psychologists to try and manage right. your life. You know what I'm saying? And to your point, I don't know if he's got it in him to overcome this mentally. I mean, I, after six games, I kind of agree with Grossi after six games, it's not like the 700 days that he was away from football. It's not like he was sitting around playing Xbox. He was working out every single day. He had receivers that he was throwing to. They were mimicking game plans that they saw on TV when they were watching the Browns. So they were throwing similar routes, and they were trying to replicate what they were seeing on TV. So it's not like he was sitting around picking his ass, right? And after six games, you would think that would be plenty of time to show something, and he and he looked like Spurgeon win. Yeah. After And that that's concerning. Yeah, he, to Grossi's point, he looked like every other Browns quarterback. You know? Sure did, sure did. You know, it's funny. I remember in spring, and uh, I almost said, I almost said spring training. I remember in training camp last year when um, 
I mean, you just heard people like Jim Donovan and all of the, the reporters saying he looks amazing. We've never seen a Browns quarterback look this good, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, everybody looks good in practice. Yeah. I don't know, man. I mean, I guess on the positive side to wrap, we got a couple minutes left. I guess on the positive side, though, the schedule is really favorable. And even if Lamar Jackson is still in the division, which it looks like he will be, um, you know, the schedule is favorable. And I think the Browns, again, I mean, they've got a talented roster. And I think this is a team that is gonna have to actually try to win games this year it can't they can't punt on the season like they did the last two years so you know does that mean i'm optimistic not necessarily but you know i'm just trying to look at it rationally you know that they should they should be at least a 500 team hopefully a couple games better yeah i mean if i was honest with myself there was not not absolutely nothing, but just about nothing in those six games that gives me any type of encouragement for next year. If if I was honest with myself, because he looked like shit. It's well, like, what was he? Three and three, three and three. Well, what's funny is everybody talks about the three and three, but honestly, it was a total luck. It was a draw. It was a luck of the draw because if they played any other team on the schedule that first game and it, and it wasn't Houston, they would have lost that game. They'd have gotten their asses handed to them by thirty-one other teams. By right. thirty other I teams. mean, so the, so by rights they should have been two and four. I mean, right? Because he he was just putting the ball in the ground on that game. It was a terrible. He looked he looked all he looked awful. And yeah. and he uh, honestly, I mean, he had the the second half. Um, who was that against the second, the good second half against who was that? It was Washington, Washington. He had the good second half against Washington, but then he played two, two more games after that and looked assy again. And, and it's, I, I'm not two, two quarters of football in six games. Doesn't give me very much encouragement. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, man. Wow. You're down this week, dude. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know. What are you gonna do? I, the, the the draft used to be used to be my Super Bowl, um, but it's not anymore. So we have to talk about Kareem Hunt not being in Cleveland anymore. Maybe I, you're I'm, just I'm, missing the draft because typically, I don't know, man. You're just bummed out this week. I mean, man, yeah. the sun's been shining. It's nice out, and you're depressed about the Browns. Yeah, man, it happens. You know, I mean, it it uh, you know you you feel like you overcome it's like this is what happens when you have battered brown syndrome you think you have moments of clarity when you're trying to overcome this and push through and then it just comes right back to you and you just reminded about all the shit that you've had to experience since 1999 and it just puts you right back down where you were before so it's just one of those one of those things man we'll get through it together buddy yeah we will thanks man appreciate it all right go browns go browns Cleveland Browns, all day, all night.